Chapter Fifteen of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen, showing how very fond of Oliver Twist the merry old Jew and Miss Nancy were. In the obscure parlour of a low public house in the filthiest part of Little Saffron Hill, a dark and gloomy den where a flaring gaslight burnt all day in the winter time and where no ray of sun ever shone in the summer, there sat brooding over a little pewter measure on a small glass, strongly impregnated with the smell of liquor, a man in a velveteen coat, drab shorts, half-boots and stockings, whom, even by that dim light, no experienced agent of the police would have hesitated to recognise as Mr. William Sykes. At his feet sat a white-coated, red-eyed dog, he occupied himself alternately in winking at his master with both eyes at the same time and in licking a large fresh cut on one side of his mouth which appeared to be the result of some recent conflict keep quiet you warmint keep quiet said mr sykes and suddenly breaking silence whether his meditations were so intense as to be disturbed by the dog's winking or whether his feelings were so wrought upon by his reflections that they required all the relief deliverable from kicking an unoffending animal to allay them is a matter for argument and consideration whatever was the cause the effect was a kick and a curse bestowed upon the dog simultaneously dogs are not generally apt to revenge injuries inflicted upon them by their masters but mr sykes dog having faults of temper in common with his owner and labouring perhaps at this moment under a powerful sense of injury, made no more ado but at once fixed his teeth in one of the half-boots. Having given it a hearty shake, he retired, growling under a form, just escaping the pewter measure which Mr. Sykes levelled at his head. "'You would, would you?' said Sykes, seizing the poker in one hand, and deliberately opening with the other a large clasp-knife which he drew from his pocket. Come here, you born devil. Come here, do you hear? The dog had no doubt heard, because Mr. Sykes spoke in the very harshest key, with a very harsh voice, but appearing to entertain some unaccountable objection to having his throat cut, he remained where he was, and growled more fiercely than before, at the same time grasping the end of the poker between his teeth and biting at it like a wild beast. This resistance only infuriated Mr. Sykes the more who, dropping on his knees, began to assail the animal most furiously. The dog jumped from right to left and from left to right, snapping, growling and barking. The man thrust and swore and struck and blasphemed, and the struggle was reaching a most critical point for one or another when the door suddenly opened and the dog darted out, leaving Bill Sykes with a poker and the clasp knife in his hand. There must always be two parties to a quarrel, says the old adage. Mr. Sykes, being disappointed of the dog's participation, at once transferred his share of the quarrel to the newcomer. "'What the devil do you come in between me and my dog for?' said Sykes, with a fierce gesture. "'I didn't know, my dear, I didn't know,' replied Fagin humbly, for the Jew was the newcomer. "'You didn't know, you white-livered thief,' growled Sykes. "'Couldn't you hear the noise?' "'Not a sound of it, as I'm a living man, Bill,' replied the Jew. Oh, no, you hear nothing you don't, retorted Sykes with a fierce sneer. 
sneaking in and out so as nobody hears how you come or go. I wish you'd been a dog faking half a minute ago. Why? inquired the Jew with a forced smile. Because the government as cares for the lives of such men as you, as have an after pluck of curs, lets a man kill a dog how he likes, replied Sykes, shutting up the knife with a very expressive look. That's why. The Jew rubbed his hands and sitting down at the table affected to laugh at the pleasantry of his friend. He was obviously very ill at ease, however. Grin away, said Sykes, replacing the poker and surveying him with savage contempt. Grin away. You'll never have the laugh at me, though, unless it's behind the nightcap and I've got the upper hand over you, Fagin. And damn me, I'll keep it. There, if I go, you go, so take care of me. Well, well, my dear, said the Jew. I know all that. We, we have a mutual interest, Bill, a mutual interest. Yeah, said Sykes, as if he thought the interest lay more than on the Jew's side than on his. Well, what have you got to say to me? It's all passed safe through the melting pot, replied Fagin. And this is your share. It's for rather more than I thought it ought to be, my dear. But as I know you'll do me a good turn another time and... Stow that gammon, interposed the robber impatiently. Where is it? And over. Yes, yes, Bill. Give me time. Give me time, replied the Jew soothingly. Here it is, all safe. As he spoke, he drew forth an old cotton handkerchief from his breast, and untying a large knot in one corner, produced a small brown paper packet. Sykes, snatching it from him hastily, opened it, and proceeded to count the sovereigns it contained. That's all there is, inquired Sykes. All, replied the Jew. You haven't opened a parcel and swallowed one or two as you come along, have you? inquired Sykes suspiciously. Don't put on an injured look at the question. You've done it many a time. Jerk the tinkler. These words in plain English conveyed an injunction to ring the bell. It was answered by another Jew, younger than Fagin, but nearly as vile and repulsive in appearance. Bill Sykes merely pointed to the empty measure. The Jew, perfectly understanding the hint, retired to fill it, previously exchanging a remarkable look with Fagin, who raised his eyes for an instant as if in expectation of it, and shook his head in reply, so slightly that the action would have been almost imperceptible to an observant third person. It was lost upon Sykes, who was stooping at the moment to tie a boot lace which the dog had torn. Possibly, if he had observed the brief interchange of signals, he might have thought that it boded no good to him. Is anybody here, Barney? inquired Fagin, speaking now that Sykes was looking on without raising his eyes from the ground. Dot shoal, replied Barney, whose words, whether they came from the heart or not, made their way through the nose. Nobody? inquired Fagin in a tone of surprise, which perhaps might mean that Barney was at liberty to tell the truth. Nobody but Miss Nancy, replied Barney. Nancy, exclaimed Sykes, where? Strike me blind, if I don't honour that girl for her native talents. She'd been having a plate of boiled beef in the bar, replied Barney. Send her here, said Sykes, pouring out a glass of liquor. Send her here. Barney looked timidly at Fagin as if for permission. The Jew, remaining silent and not lifting his eyes from the ground, he retired and presently returned, ushering in Nancy. It was decorated with a bonnet, apron, basket and street door key complete. You're on the scent, are you, Nancy? inquired Sykes, proffering the glass. Yes, I am, Bill, replied the young lady, disposing of its contents. 
and tired enough of it i am too the young brat's been ill and confined to the crib and ah nancy dear said fagin looking up now whether a peculiar contraction of the jew's red eyebrows and a half closing of his deeply set eyes warned miss nancy that she was supposed to be too communicative is not a matter of much importance the fact is all we need care for here and the fact is that she suddenly checked herself and with several gracious smiles upon mr sykes turned the conversation to other matters in about ten minutes time mr fagin was seized with a fit of coughing upon which nancy pulled her shawl over her shoulders and declared it was time to go mr sykes finding that he was walking a short part of the way himself expressed his intention of accompanying her they went away together followed a little distance by the dog who slunk out of a backyard as soon as his master was out of sight the jew thrust his head out of the room door when sykes had left it looked after him as he walked up the dark passage shook his clenched fist muttered a deep curse and then with a horrible grin he seated himself at the table where he was soon deeply absorbed in the interesting pages of the hue and cry meanwhile oliver twist little dreaming that he was within so very short a distance of the merry old gentleman was on his way to the bookstore when he got into clerkenwell he accidentally turned down a by-street by which is not exactly in his way but not discovering the mistake until he got halfway down it and knowing it must lead in the right direction he did not think it worth while to turn back and so marched on as quickly as he could with the books under his arm he was walking along thinking how happy and contented he ought to feel and how much he would give for only one look at poor little dick who starved and beaten might be weeping bitterly at that very moment when he was startled by a young woman screaming out very loud oh my dear brother and he hardly looked up to see what the matter was when he was stopped by having a pair of arms thrown tight round his neck don't cried oliver struggling let go of me who is it what are you stopping me for but the only reply to this was a great number of loud lamentations from the young woman who had embraced him and who had a little basket and a street door key in her hand oh my gracious said the young woman i have found him oh oliver oliver you naughty boy to make me suffer such distress on your account come home dear come oh i've found him thank gracious goodness heavens i've found him with these incoherent exclamations the young woman burst into another fit of crying and got so dreadfully hysterical that a couple of women who came up at that moment asked a butcher's boy with a shiny head of hair anointed with suet who was also looking on whether he didn't think he had better run for the doctor to which the butcher's boy who appeared of a lounging not to say indolent disposition replied he thought not oh no no never mind said the young woman grasping oliver's hand i'm better now come home directly you cruel boy come oh ma'am replied the young woman he ran away near a month ago from his parents who were hard-working and respectable people and went and joined a set of thieves and bad characters almost broke his mother's heart young wretch said one woman go home do you little brute said the other i am not oliver replied greatly alarmed i don't know her i haven't any sister or father or mother either i'm an orphan i live at pentonville oh hear him how he braves it out cried the young woman why it's nancy exclaimed oliver who now saw her face for the first time and started back in irrepressible astonishment 
you see he knows me cried nancy appealing to the bystanders he can't help himself make him come home this good people or he'll kill his dear mother and father and break my heart what the devil's this said a man bursting out of a beer shop with a white dog at his heels young oliver come out here poor mother you young dog come home directly i don't belong to them i don't know them help help cried oliver struggling in the man's powerful grasp help repeated the man yes i'll help you you young rascal what books are these you've been stealing them have you give them here with these words the man tore the volumes from his grasp and struck him on the head that's right cried a locker on from the garret window that's the only way of bringing him to his senses to be sure cried a sleepy-faced carpenter casting an approving look at the garret window it'll do him good said the two women and he shall have it too rejoined the man administering another blow and seizing oliver by the collar come on you young villain here bull's-eye mind him boy mind him weak with recent illness stupefied by the blows and the suddenness of the attack terrified by the fierce growling of the dog and the brutality of the man overpowered by the conviction of the bystanders that he really was the hardened little wretch he was described to be what could one poor child do darkness had set in it was a low neighbourhood no help was near resistance was useless in another moment he was dragged into a labyrinth of dark narrow courts and was forced along them at a pace which rendered the few cries he dared give utterance to unintelligible it was of little moment indeed whether they were intelligible or no for there was nobody to care for them had they been ever so plain the gas lamps were lighted mrs bedwin was waiting anxiously at the open door the servant had run up the street twenty times to see if there were any traces of oliver and still the two old gentlemen sat perseveringly in the dark parlour with the watch between them End of chapter 15